What's up, Redemption community? My name is John Hendricks. Thank you so much for joining on this, what is episode five of The Threshing Floor. So happy you're joining us. Hope you've been having a great week. And today, we're going to be welcoming a brand new guest to the show. We're going to be having lead card designer and longtime elder, Gabe Isbell, on. And we're going to be talking about playtesting and what goes into that and kind of some specifics about playtesting for GOC. And we might even get into a couple of spoilers, so make sure you pay attention as we get into it. Happy you're here. Now let's go. All right, thank you for joining on episode five of The Threshing Floor. Again, my name is John Hendricks, and I am here with Gabe Isbell. How you doing, Gabe? Hey, I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Glad to have you. Um, why don't you go ahead and just, for people that might not know you much like myself, just from our brief interaction when I helped on Land of Redemption, apart from that, I don't really know you other than the fact that you're a figurehead within the game. So for anybody in that situation that might not know much about you, go ahead and give some background on yourself. All right. Well, the first and most important thing to know about me is that I'm a follower of Jesus. And uh, that means that I recognize that I am a sinful person. And uh, in fact, I'm, I'm not a very good guy. I'm not a very nice guy. Um, but God has redeemed me and he continues to transform me, continues to make me into the person that he wants me to be. And uh, even as I share some things with you tonight, you're going to see that uh, just over the history, I've been part of redemption. God has done a work in my life and continues to do a work. Um, so that's the most important thing to know about me. Um, I'm also a father. I have a, a lovely, amazing, supportive wife. And I have four kids, two boys, two girls. Uh, oldest is 14. Um, he's learning to drive right now. I, it's kind of scary having a kid that drives. But um, And my youngest is six. And uh, she's just a ball of fun and joy. So uh, I love them all. They're great. Um, spend a lot of time with my kids and invest in them. And um, obviously, I love redemption. I've been doing redemption since, uh, let's see, I think it was about 2000, the winter of 2005, 2006, I think it was. Um, Priest wasn't out yet. And I believe Nationals that summer was in New York. And I didn't make it to that Nationals. But my younger brother, who was adopted, um, my parents wouldn't let him play Magic the Gathering, and he had seen some people at a church event playing Redemption. And so he got some cards with his Christmas money, but couldn't figure out how to play. So he's like, you've played Magic, so you know card games. Can you show me how to play this game? We sat down, got to looking at it. I was immediately hooked. I went out and got my own cards. I started making decks. I talked my wife into playing. Of course, uh, any cool card that I had, she took from me, and then I had to get another copy. So when I got my first Holy Grail or my first Hopper or whatever, like she's like, no, I need that for my deck. Um, so it was all about getting two copies of everything to get us started. Um, I ended up going to some nationals, uh, played a lot of categories, met some amazing people, uh, won a couple times. And then uh, I'd met a guy by the name of Kevin Schreid, who was on the leadership team at the time. And uh, he let me kind of play test with him and help him out. And uh, so that was probably around between, it was after Faith of Our Fathers, and so maybe Rock of Ages that I was helping out with, and um, got to know Rob Anderson and Brian Hake, who was the lead designer back in those days, and um, great guys, and ended up working with Brian and working with him a lot and kind of mentored under him. 
Um, John Hurley joined around that same time. And so John and I have been really close friends for a lot of years as a result. Uh, but getting to work on those sets back then with Brian and, and see how things were done. And um, it, it was really good, really interesting. So then Brian kind of retired and passed that baton on to me. And that happened between early church and persecuted church. And he had kind of retired before early church. That set didn't necessarily have a lot of leadership. And, uh, and then I took things over with persecuted church. And, um, and I guess the rest is history. Uh, you know, Cloud of Witnesses, Revelation of John. And, and then we have this block that we're just wrapping up now with Fall of Man uh, was the introduction to that. That just shows how, how broken people are. And uh, then where does that hope come in? If all, if all it is is we're broken, messed up people, like there's, there's no hope in that. So prophecies of Christ start to let us know that God has a plan to change things. Lineage of Christ shows that he uses those broken people to do that. And we're about to see the gospel of Christ. And we've tried to represent in that set that, um, that there's a redeemer, there is redemption, and there is hope for all of us. And, and that comes through Jesus. There, there's no other place to find hope. Um, so that's, uh, that's my resume. That's where we're at today. And, um, you know, by the time we're done here, I might give you a hint at what's coming in the future. So there was a lot of information in there that obviously, even like I said, working with you on the land of redemption and reading everything that I can about redemption that I didn't know. Um, so you mentioned that you took over after early church or between early church and persecuted church to now, not to foreshadow what we might talk about as we get into playtesting and how it relates to GOC. What is your favorite set that you've worked on? Oh boy, that's a tough one. Uh, it's always hard for me to pick favorites because I like different things for different reasons. And my kids will be like, what's your favorite dessert or what's your favorite song? And it's like, well, I don't necessarily have a favorite. I have a lot of them I like and I like them for different reasons. And context is everything when I'm picking a favorite. But, um, I would say maybe Cloud of Witnesses, and just because that's the first set that I feel like we really had free reign to just do fun stuff and and see our vision come to life instead of maybe just doing what had always been done. Persecuted Church was kind of the second half of early church. That was somebody else's plan, somebody else's design that we made it come together, and Cloud of Witnesses, John Early and Justin Allstead and myself were uh, really a trio. And I would say it was probably equal parts, all three of us. There was no no one person that did more than anybody else there. We were all just working so closely together all the time. And it was a really cool season to see. That's, that's kind of where at least a, the first change or the first turn as things kind of turned into modern redemption. I feel like that's where that started. I know that that wasn't on the list of questions. It just kind of came up naturally. So put you on the spot hey, that's, there. That's all right. If you put me on the spot, I'll try and answer. I, I have answers for all kinds of things. <laughs> all right. Um, so normally at this point, we it's it's kind of weird now because you have insider knowledge. It's, it's like when I sat down with Tyler a couple of weeks ago, we go over some spoilers that have come out. And obviously, you know everything about the cards. Um. Let me ask you this though, because this is one one question that I don't know if I don't know if you enjoy the the back and forth as much, but when you post the things in the spoiler channel to where it's it's like uh, I don't know a scavenger hunt a riddle those things and usually I'm one of the first ones to comment and take it and run with it. 
Do you do you enjoy that, or do I get on your nerves a little bit? Oh no, it's it's amazing. First of all, I, I love the back and forth. I love people giving comments and sharing their thoughts and their ideas about what what might this be. It's always interesting to see what people come up with. Occasionally, those ideas, even if they're way off, they spark ideas for us. Um, so we feed off of the feedback that we get from the public as much as uh, anything. And um, it, honestly, we've had some conversations behind the scenes. How on earth did John come up with that so quick? How did he do that? <laughs> so there's been times you pull stuff out and it's like, wow, um, this, did he hack? My, somebody to message me and it's like, did he hack your computer? <laughs> so um, no, no, he didn't. But he's pretty good at what he does. Yeah, the uh, I think the the most fun one that I had, just because it took me forever to find it, and I was actually engaged in working towards finding it, was when you posted the alternate image of King of Tyrus, and that's actually oh, yeah. how I found that's how I found digital copies of those comic books, and um, they're called Arch- Archangels, and that's how yep. I found the that's how I found the one pretty quickly for what is Michael Chief Prince and the way that I found it even faster than just knowing where to go was I was like okay there's like nine of the main books instead of starting at one and it being at the end I'm going to start at nine so I started at nine and it was in the eighth book like three or four pages into the eighth book so I was like boom found it immediately yeah if I remember correctly that image appears a couple times in those comics oh well then maybe I got even even more lucky. <laughs> there's there's a lot of great pieces of art in there, and some of them haven't ever been used in Redemption. And so it's really exciting to be able to to utilize some of that stuff. Um, so Plague of Hail is obviously a plague from Exodus. It was actually re- released before we recorded last week, but I didn't put it into the episode with me and Brad because it was released in the trades and sales, and I forgot to grab it when I made my outline. I kind of made it in a rush last week. So this card, um, does that, I can't, I can't recall off the top of my head with, with this. And does that complete the list of plagues from Exodus? Well, we started with follow man doing two or three plagues per set. And we were going to do them through this whole block, even though they don't really have anything to do with what the block's about. We wanted to get the plagues out in Exodus. And as of Lineage of Christ, we have eight of them that have been reprinted Tri-Brigade on the new card face. So we're missing probably two of the most playable plagues from the that had been printed before. Plague of Hail was a, a negate in the GNH starter and Plague of Frogs was a battle winner in GNH Starter that was actually really solid in decks way back in the day um, because it was regardless of protection. and get around Red Dragon and Prince of This World, or regardless of immunity or whatever, whatever it <laughs> It would also get around Foreign Wives, right? It would, absolutely, yep. I think, I think that was one of the, the texts that Jeremy put into a Prophet's deck, and I think that's where I, I saw that, and it was because... I mentioned when we did the starter deck episode that we had GNH, but I never played them. And he was like, "Yeah, this card's from GNH. You can you can just go grab it." And I think that was the, that was the first time like I realized, oh, there might be some useful stuff in some of those old old cards. There are the, that's the reason we save these two plagues until the very end is because they were playable in their old format, so we saved those for last. Yeah, 
and and Plague of Frogs. I I don't know if I'm 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 terrible at keeping up with this on the fly, but I know that it's been at least released that I think it's going to be in the set. Correct. It is. Justin Allstead had asked if he could spoil that one, and that was before we were doing full previews. It was before the set had been sent to print, and so he just spoiled the card without the ability on it. Um, I believe it was in response to somebody's deck list on the forum. That's right. It was on the forums because Chad has recently asked about it, and okay, maybe that's that's why I couldn't find it because it it was it was no longer showing up on the boards. Um, so Michael Chief Prince is a tournament winner that's going to replace. Currently, there was if you won a tournament, you were only getting New Jerusalem, I think, or that's the only one that I was presented with as an option. Not that I win a lot of tournaments. Was it a was it a big priority to try to upgrade that to something that was more playable? Well, there's there's a bit of a story behind this here. So Rob came to us. Uh, month and a half ago, I believe it was somewhere around that time. And, and there's another mini project going on. And as a result, he's like, Hey, in addition to this, we need two new winter promos. Cause the only one I have to offer right now is NJ and it's been out for a couple of years. And so he asked us for two new winter promos. I think he said one to three. So we went with two. Um, and as we're talking about what to do, we're like, hey, three winner promos. Maybe we should just use those to get the the promo angels that are hard to get because they were only national promos, uh, special promos from nationals. And and not everybody has access to those. And like, if we feel like it's urgent to get those on the new card face for people, we could use those as the winner promos. But we have to talk and we're like, well, it feels kind of bad if they're all angels. Like the only thing you can get for winning is an angel. Angels are great. People love angels, but variety's better. Um, and so we got to talking through that and, and we decided we wanted a Daniel Michael. Um, and then it was just a matter of like, what, what is this guy going to do? What did Daniel lose? Um, and Old Testament angels, just as an offense, has not been a thing maybe ever or at least not recently. Um, and so the beginning of the what an Old Testament angel deck could look like with this guy is, is also pretty amazing. So. Um, he supports Daniel and he supports Old Testament angels, and I'm so excited to get my hands on one. Yeah, definitely me too. Um, and I think it's cool. It's cool not only that you guys are, are making new winter promos, but when you hear that you guys are keeping up with what has been lost with rotation, I think that's fantastic too because you see it's targeted to kind of make sure, I guess, and, and that's probably the main goal behind rotation is to make sure the most – um, deck themes and, and archetypes are playable within the game. Absolutely. We, we want things to be viable and we want as many different styles of decks to be possible. Um, we don't necessarily want themes to play out exactly like they did pre-rotation. So we may push things in a little bit different direction, but we still want them to be viable. Yeah. De- different, different's always good. It, it, variety is the spice of life. Yeah, yeah, and it keeps card games fresh, too. If it's just the same old thing all the time, that can get boring. Um, and then w- one more that, that was released this week was the Expert Lawyer. And um, so the first the first part of that ability to make things regardless of protect, do you know offhand, or could you share with us, like how important was it to do regardless of protect? Because it seems to be a theme that's running through the heart of 
all the spoilers. Like it's it's everywhere, regardless of protectability. Yeah, it probably seems like there's a lot more of it in the set than there really is. Um, but it is something we're doing a little bit more of this year. In the past, and I'm talking way in the past, um, like maybe when we were doing the second round of Rock of Ages and Faith of Our Fathers tents, um, the Stone of Thebes, I believe is what it's called. We put Regardless of Protection on that. And uh, it wasn't my decision at the time. We were giving input and somebody else had decision rights. And and John Early and I really had to beg to get regardless of protection on that card because it was something that we wanted to use sparingly. And I think we had looked back and been like, well, it's been three sets since we made anything with regardless of protection. So please, just one card, you know. Um, and now we get to the GOC and, and we've got an evil character like the expert lawyer in the sense that they give New Testament enhancements that are played by that card regardless of protectabilities, in all five of the evil brigades. So each evil brigade is going to get one of these. And we felt like that was important because banding offenses and offenses with protection and sometimes CBN protection. Now, most of that is is classic format now, um, but it's important that we still give classic format some of the tools that it needs. We're not just abandoning classic. We want classic to still be as healthy as it can with us not having to put hours and hours and hours of play testing into it. So the expert lawyer is a Pharisee and I think it was Luke, Luke recently asked you and you said that, what, what was the response? Let me see on the fly. I'm going to pull this one up because I thought it was funny. Um, so, Oh no, it was um, someone else said, I see we have the expert lawyer. Do we have a support staff from his office that can be spoiled? And you said all of his friends are pretty spoiled, but they're also very shy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I didn't want to give too many spoilers on the forum because I may end up dumping a lot of information on here tonight. Yeah. That just I I love the the back and forth banter. <laughs> it's it's one of the things that, that really makes it not just spoilers coming to light, but the I don't I don't know, just the, the way that it's done is is done in an engaging way. And I think that's pretty cool. I think you guys do a really good job with that. Well, and Mike, the guy that asked that question is an old friend. Like we go way back and uh, he played for a long time and we used to play over RTS, Redemption Table Simulator years ago. And uh, he took a break from the game for a while and he's back and it's so good to have him back, but he, he's an old friend. So it's fun to joke around with him. Cool, cool. I think I think there's actually been, and I don't know, I don't know how widespread it is, but it's kind of what I, I mentioned when we first started and we were talking about with rotation and the new format and changes to the game. It seems like there's a lot of either returning players or players that are really buzzing about the state of the game. And I think it's in such a healthy spot. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I do. I feel the game is in a better place than it's been in a, a really long time. And rotation's a big part of that. Yes. Rotation has been when when we when we came into the game and it was it was one of those hot button topics on the boards I was like okay I don't know when it's going to happen but whenever it does I'm all I'm sold in because I don't have I don't have the nostalgic connection to older cards classic cards so as a player and I think I think that's important too to acknowledge that newer players are more engaged with the newer cards they don't have all of the nostalgia with the older ones and I think the new cards and the new sets present a little bit better. They have a better, I guess, wording style. 
to make it simple to understand, pick up a card, know how it operates. And I think all of that just pushes the game into the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. More standardized wording. It's not perfect. There are some inconsistencies, but also having the text off of the picture is, is huge. Um, and there's still more that we can improve with things, but it's, it's definitely a lot better aesthetically and and the way it looks and, and presents itself for sure. All right. So the main topic tonight and, um, not that, not that we're going to, uh, kind of get off of what we're talking about as far as sets and things, but we're going to talk about playtesting. And before we get into how it kind of relates to the latest set, because I know everyone's excited about the latest set. I'm excited. You're excited. Everybody that's listening, I hope you're excited because if not, the hype train's going to run you over. Get off the tracks. <laughs> um, but as far as playtesting goes, obviously you're taking new cards that are being created with abilities and you're trying to fit them into the card pool that's already existing. When you do that, what are you looking for as a team when when you guys create a new set and you start building it out? What are you looking for as far as the balance of a set? Every, everybody talks about balance within cards, the abilities, balancing the power level, things of that nature. What are, are you looking for it to balance within itself as a set first or are you looking for the way it fits within the card pool as a whole? Man, that, that's, uh, that's a tough question. There's a couple of different things that we're looking for. Um, the first thing that we're doing when we start to create a set is we want to know what's the set about and how do we represent what the set is about. And then once we've designed those cards and we have all these cards with abilities and we're ready to start playtesting them, um, we're going to look at how it plays within itself, at least a set like GOC and LOC. Um, so Lineage had its own constructed format. It was designed to be drafted by itself. And the Gospel of Christ had designed in a very similar way. We want you to be able to play just Gospel of Christ cards with one another and have it function well. We want to draft where you're only drafting Gospel of Christ cards to function really well and be really fun to do. Um, so both these sets were um, designed to be able to be drafted or played just by themselves. So if you bought a box of GOC, you could build a couple decks and you can play with your your brother, your sister, your friend, whomever. Um, so we're looking for balance within the set for sure. Um, but we're also wanting these to help balance the overall type ones, the main format we focus on. It's the most popular format. It's the one that most people play uh, most commonly. And so we're definitely focused on balance for type one. And then we do have people that play test type two for us, and we're wanting to keep things sane in type two as well. Um, there's times when we have cards that are just amazing for type one, and they get to type two, and, and they just break things. And we have to go back and make adjustments. And that happened a lot in, in the playtesting for GOC. Um, so those are the things that we're looking to balance and just make sure that there aren't any specific broken interactions with the entire card pool going clear back to classic. If we know there's broken interactions, we're not going to be like, oh, that's classic. Forget about it. We don't care. Um, we're still going to try and fix those things and make sure that they're not insane. Um, and then obviously in rotation, we want that to be a healthy format. And, and we're making most of our effort to keep that healthy right now. All right. One of the, uh, you mentioned getting into, not to go down a rabbit hole, but you mentioned how you, you play test for the main format. That's kind of like um, Morning Wheat would fall into that category, right? So 
I guess it was getting abused more in multiplayer that, and that's what led to it getting banned. Correct. Yeah. Seeing that in multiplayer formats, if we only banned cards for specific formats, mourn and weep might still be viable in type one. Like we may, we may have only banned it in multiplayer. Um, that's something we would have to revisit at the time we saw the most abusive use of it in multiplayer formats, but that's not to say it wasn't being thrown in every type one deck and, or most type one decks and still being abused there too. When you, when you guys play test decks, how do you, how do you construct those? Do you, do you focus more on building out of the new cards or do you guys kind of fit them into older themes how does the balance between old and new cards work within a constructed playtest deck? That's going to vary by each person that playtests because we allow each of the playtesters to build their own decks. And in fact, we encourage everybody to share the decks they've built with one another so we can see how they're using the cards and we can see what they're testing. And that allows us to maybe not duplicate some efforts. And sometimes it's actually a good thing to duplicate efforts because we do take different approaches. Um, so for me personally, I start out with, with LOC and with GOC. I started out with building set constructed decks. So most recently I set out building Gospel of Christ constructed decks using only Gospel of Christ cards and seeing how those played out. And that helped me understand if we had been successful or unsuccessful in making sure a theme is going to be viable, if it had the cards it needed to play out, if there were cards that were part of a theme that just weren't going to make the cut like maybe they were just awful and there's no reason i would ever include it in my deck sometimes we we uh over theme things like we make it really thematic to the scripture but the card doesn't really function that well in the game as a result or maybe it just functions way too good because we tried to do too much that happens too um so it helps me identify those things when we just i start focusing on set constructed most people don't do that. They go straight to type one or type two, whichever their preferred format is, and, and they start testing there. Um, so there's going to be a mix between testing old cards and new cards. And when I say new cards, I mean just the set that we're testing. So Gospel of Christ and old cards could include anything in rotation or anything in classic, depending on what format you're testing. And um, sometimes we mix a new offense with an old defense. And sometimes we're just testing two new themes, a new offense and a new defense together. Um, one example I'll give you is the card we looked at just a little bit ago when we looked at the Plague of Hail preview. One of the things that I was testing this year was I was testing uh, basically deck destruction. So the gold theme in Gospel of Christ, is uh, it's a resource depletion theme. And so that's what it's trying to do is trying to deplete you of resources. And so I paired that with Egyptians and anything I could find in rotation format that would attack your deck. And Plague of Hail definitely does that. Um, at the time, Plague of Hail did not have the, the first part where it says if used by an Exodus hero. So basically, I just had to play it on any hero and discard an evil Exodus character, an evil Exodus card, and then I could hit the top five cards of your deck as a territory class card. We found that that was probably not healthy for the game. <laughs> and so we, we added the if used by an Exodus hero. So it's really only going to work in a, a mostly Exodus offense now. Um, but, you know, that's kind of a, an example of me pairing something new with something old 
and find that out, hey, this card might be broken in its current form. We need to just make a small fix here. When you guys do that and you write the abilities out, so this one this one seemed more broad and still pretty strong. Do you guys usually start off with a really strong ability and then scale back as edits need to be made? Or is it is it just kind of a card by card basis? Or or do you do you have a process for how you want the power level to be for the first I guess, first run of the set? Well, we have a lot of standards that we've developed that are hopefully helping us keep cards balanced. And we're getting better at applying and adhering to those standards. But the answer to your question really depends on who made the card. Um, As I designed a a lot of GOC, my personal preference is I tend to go with things that are maybe a little too strong and then scale them back. Um, but other guys that I've designed with, they start out the other way. They they present a card that I'm like, I mean, I don't even want to play that. That's not cool enough. And then it gets scaled up. And we have both types on our team. And everybody on our team helps design cards to some degree. Um, so it really just depends on who made them. Do you guys ever do you ever create a card and then the ability just doesn't work? no matter how much you edit it to where there's no way to get it to clearly operate how you want it to without being too strong or too watered down? Sometimes that happens. Um, Maybe a more common example of that is that we want to, because we're always trying to do stuff that's new and different. We don't want to just want to repeat the same thing we've always done before. So we try and bring fresh ideas to the table. And sometimes there just really isn't a way to word a card with the language we have in the game and make it function well and not either be really long, really wordy, or just really complicated in the way that it's worded. And I would say that's probably the most common reason that we have to scrap an idea is because sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah. How long does it generally take for you guys to, once you, you've made like the first run of the cards, distributed it out to your play testers how how long do you you work with that first set before you go in and you make your edits and and scale back abilities change things how how much do you do you work with a version before you go back to the drawing board it depends on what stage of the process we're in um so early on when we got the first draft of goc out the first draft or maybe the first two drafts is mostly our elder team looking things over, evaluating things, making sure wording is correct, adjusting those cards. Because like I say, sometimes they start out too strong or sometimes they don't start out strong enough. Um, and really just kind of doing what I would call armchair play testing. We're not actually putting the cards in decks and seeing how they work yet. Um, because honestly, they're probably not there. A lot of them aren't. Some might be. So that's the first process, and that takes a while, especially with a list as big as the Gospel of Christ was. There's a lot of stuff to go through there and a lot to wrap your mind around. We have 10 different themes, all trying to do unique things, and there's a lot of different interactions there. And you don't necessarily get that the first time you read through a list of cards. So it, it really takes making yourself familiar with things before you can evaluate them well and evaluate them accurately. As we progress along in the playtesting process and we get to the part where there's um, a lot of games being played and evaluating the cards based on those games, um, the changes that we make happen on basically like a weekly basis. 
And we probably update the entire list on like about a biweekly basis. So when things were really busy and we were doing a lot of play testing, um, we were pumping out a new list every couple of weeks for probably, oh, probably about six to eight weeks. So we were, we were going through lists pretty quick. You mentioned how many cards are in GOC. I believe that I remember seeing that at the time Prophecy of Christ was the largest, if not right at around the mark of the largest set. And then I think we went up with LOC and now GOC is pushing the envelope again. Does the amount of cards, how, how does that affect the overall process of play testing? Um, the play testing from prophecies of Christ to lineage of Christ to the gospel of Christ, um, the size of those isn't that much different from one another. So they've all been play tested in a similar way. Um, but the amount of play testing that goes into testing something of that size is, is very different. Uh, prophecies took a different approach because we were trying to do that in two phases, but we were trying to push out phase one and then finish phase two. And that is something that, to just be frank, we're not skilled enough to do well. Um, we tried it, and it was really difficult, and we didn't have the foresight to do that. So with Gospel of Christ, even though Phase 2 hasn't gone to print and the cards aren't technically finished, they are way closer to finished than they are to being not finished, basically. Uh, a lot of them could probably go to print as is right now, and there won't be a ton of changes to phase two in Gospel of Christ. Whereas in Prophecies, when we were testing that, phase two, we had a list of what we wanted the cards to be, but they were basically untested at that point, and, and there were a lot of changes. So very different animal, even though the sets are about the same size. Um, testing Lineage of Christ to Prophecies, or sorry, Lineage of Christ to Gospel of Christ has been very similar because we took kind of the same approach with uh, the set constructed and the booster draft and um, what we are doing with them is, is really very similar. Through the, through the process, so you, you stated how you go through and you make different versions and you scale things back and what you're looking for. How do you guys handle when something slips through? So when the community gets a hold of the, the new set, so uh, pre-orders go live, whatever, people receive theirs. And then you find out a card's being played kind of outside of the way you intended. How do you guys compartmentalize that? And do you keep that in mind as you go back? Um, what's the process there? Well, first of all, we absolutely love seeing what players come up with. And players are always going to come up with things that we didn't envision, that we didn't imagine, or that we haven't seen done with the different cards and even with different themes. And that's one of the things I love about the game and I love about doing sets is that uh, getting them in the hands of players and the creativity that people can come up with is, is really exciting and really fun. Um, I'm going to use Love at First Sight as an example because that's one that uh, anybody who's a competitive player in Redemption and plays in tournaments is, is very familiar with that one right now. I would, so, I would just like the record to say that you brought it up, not me. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, I went there. So with Love at First Sight, um, I'm going to give a little history lesson here. Since you weren't around way back in the day, the leaderships team before I was part of it, and even when I was kind of uh, a newer member, the approach that they took back then was um, combo's bad, and we need to quash all combo, and that if there's even a whiff of combo decks happening, we need to errata cards. Um 
there's a card from the Patriarch set called A New Beginning, and I think it received an errata, or maybe three or a dozen. Um, I lost count somewhere along the way, <laughs> but um, that's an example of a card that was being abused in combo decks. And there was there was one deck that um, John Early and a friend of his, who I don't believe plays the game anymore, but they came up with this idea of how they could use a new beginning to just recycle it and repeat turns and just slowly whittle away at your resources until you have nothing left and you can't block and you just win. It was so broken and so abusive, and it wasn't terribly hard to pull off. So a new beginning probably needed an errata, but the approach back in those days is you heard that somebody did that. You didn't evaluate how viable it was. You just instantly axed it. And as a result, there are things that happened. And I feel like maybe some players were kind of driven away from the game because they were the type of players that loved combo and they weren't allowed to thrive and, and enjoy the game. It's a game. The whole purpose is to have fun. And players love to do fun things and cool things and really powerful things. Now, on the other side of that, you don't necessarily want to sit across from the table and watch somebody play for 30 minutes where you don't get to interact. Um, so there is a balance there. So up to love at first sight and our approach to things now is that we're going to let things play. We're going to let players have fun. And if after we do that, we see that, hey, this is really a problem and it's not healthy for the game, then we're going to step in and take action. But we're going to let players prove that to us. We're going to let things play out and we're going to see how it shakes down. Um, so that's what happened with Love at First Sight this year. We knew about Love at First Sight before it got made public. And we had talked about um, what should we do. And we stuck by our policy. We stuck by our guns. Even before it had become public, we knew how we were going to handle it. And John had actually been like, I'm going to release this at some point. When am I going to release it? And then the chambers, they, they released it before he could. And so they beat him to the punch. And there were, you know, there were other groups out there playing with it too. It wasn't just John. It wasn't just the chambers. Um, I believe that Jaden Allstead had a version that he was using. Tyler had a version that he was using. And it was all over the place among a select group of players. And so I think it was good that everybody found out about it so that everybody was on an equal playing field. Um, and I thought nationals this year and the, and the buzz around nationals was really fun. People were no longer saying, oh, Throne's going to win again this year. But, you know, the, yeah, there's another deck. People have to play differently. They have to plan differently. And I don't think that we want it to be the way it was this year all the time or every year. I don't think that that's healthy. But I think for the game to undergo the change that it went this year, was something that people enjoyed and they got excited about. Just to, just to kind of piggyback off of that, you said that you guys knew about it before it came to light. How soon after LOC released were you made aware of the broken interaction there with with the uh, Seven Years Famine, I believe it was, and then Pigs also? Um, I can't say that I knew about it as early as the others did. Um I want to say I found out about it in May, and it might have been towards the end of May. It was before we started GOC playtesting, which was June 1st, um, but it wasn't long before that is when I found out. Um, Tyler and John may have known about it. Uh, they definitely knew about it before me, and they knew about it at some point in the spring, um, but I, I don't know exactly when that was. Right, that's fair enough. Um, 
So moving on, before we before we get into more specific questions about GOC playtesting, you guys sometimes reach out and use community, um, well, we'll use community players or whatnot for playtesting when you need help with, I guess, the size of the set. I know that we've we've had a couple of people. We had Jaden on, and he mentioned that he play test even though he's not a quote unquote elder. Um, how do you guys go about doing that? How do you recruit help from the community, and what criteria do you use for people being able to help with play testing? So, if there's someone out there that wants to eventually be able to help with that, what do you guys look as criteria for that? Well, we've learned a lot about that over the years. Um, it used to be that if somebody was play testing, it's because they were part of a play group of one of the elders. And that was basically the only way to play test. And I want to say it was around Fall of Man that we realized, you know, there's some pretty valuable players that don't have an elder in their area. And we feel like they had a lot of good insight and they were very active um, and that those players had good character. So being an active player and having good character are two of the most important things. Um, Tyler talked a little bit about how character is our top quality when it comes to an elder, and it's definitely a very important character with playtesters as well. Um, so back around Fall of Man, we had maybe three guys that helped us out with that. And uh, we had three guys helping us with Fall of Man, and we expanded that a little bit with POC and GOC, but it was basically kind of the same, I'm sorry, with POC and LOC, uh, prophecies and lineage used about the same number of people. And this year with the gospel of Christ, uh, especially we didn't get a lot of testing done before nationals. There was some testing, but some of our guys enjoy playing and they were trying to get decks figured out for nationals in addition to play testing. And we just didn't get as much done prior to nationals as we wanted. We were behind on things and we wanted to, we wanted to get on pace. And so Chris Fashman, brilliant dude, and very, very good leader, he decided it would be good to bring some other people in. So then we had discussions about who can we bring in, how can they help, and kind of figuring and finding our footing here um, led us to bring on 10 different people, actually, that ended up helping us playtest this year. And if it wasn't for them, Gospel of Christ would still be in playtesting right now. It would not be at print. So... Thank you to those guys because you helped make this set happen in the time frame that it is, it's happening. Otherwise, we may not see it until much later in 2022. I think it's kind of pretty, pretty cool that you guys have kind of the same standard for yourself and what you look for in playtesters. And I also think it's fantastic that you were able to find so many that fit that criteria. Kind of says a lot about the player base as a whole. So... How how do you guys receive feedback when when you you said that you allow playtesters to build their own deck? So I guess you send them the list of cards, let them play with those cards, and when they come back and they give you feedback, do they write down notes for their games? Do they how how do they get you information about the cards? And then how much do you value their individual feedback versus what you guys feel about the card already? I'm going to answer your question with another story. So way back in the day, I told you that I was testing with Kevin Schreid. Um, great guy, good friend. Uh, he doesn't play the game anymore, but he was definitely instrumental in the time that he was part of the game. And so basically I was helping him with the Rock of Ages set. And there's a promo in that set that ended up being a national promo called Split Altar. 
And that card was kind of a joke for a lot of years because it didn't work the way that it was intended. At the time, it was supposed to be a counter for Urim and Thummim. I probably mispronounced that card, but I mispronounce a lot of things. So um, anyways, it was supposed to hit the entire artifact pile. And the way it was phrased and worded, it didn't do that. And I was fluent enough in the game at the time to realize it wasn't going to work. And I had told Kevin... Kevin, this card doesn't work as intended. And he's like, no, it's fine. It does what it's supposed to do. And he didn't take that information back to the leadership team and the other play testers so they could evaluate my input and decide if it was accurate or if they just thought, nope, nope, that's fine. We're going to leave it as is. And they may not have changed anything. I, I don't know. But then the card was printed. It didn't work as intended. And that was always a sore spot for me, not at Kevin, but just that it was a missed opportunity because I didn't feel like my voice was heard in that one instance. Now, there were plenty of instances where Kevin did take my feedback and it was heard. And I want to say at the time I went back to Rock of Ages and I counted and there were like 25 cards in that set that I had a direct input on and they turned out the way they did because of my feedback. And that's a lot with a 100-card set. It was 90 cards plus, I think, 10 promos that were printed. And to be able to impact 25 of those when I wasn't technically a playtester, I was just working with one, that's huge. So clearly, Kevin listened to my feedback a lot of times. Uh, but in this instance, he didn't. And one of the things I took away from that is that I will always, 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 even if I completely disagree with it, take somebody's feedback to our team so we can evaluate it as a group and we can decide if their feedback is warranted, if it's valid, or if it's something that we all decide we want to dismiss and that person, their thoughts aren't going the direction we want to take the game. And that's part of the, the problem with just giving general feedback, especially with the way we have people play testing, is that there's a lot of information that we would have to bring people up and train them up. And honestly, it takes, even for a new elder, it takes probably a year or more and because there's so much to learn with what we do and they don't have the big picture. So their feedback is maybe not, it's not accurate or it's not taking things where we want to go sometimes. And we also all have personal biases and that's a hard thing to set aside. Um, it's something I've learned to do a better job of setting aside, but I still struggle with it. And uh, so, so examples of people not having the big picture, you may have noticed that we don't have a lot of playabilities on the new card face and the ones that we do have are pretty limited. Um, somebody might have given feedback that said, hey, I think that this card should have a playability on it. And clearly that's not something that we want to do. I'm still going to take that to the rest of our team and be like, hey, this person thought this should have a playability. Well, in that example, their feedback is going to be, yeah, they don't realize that we're not doing playabilities on the new card face. Um, or they might decide that they think a territory class card should do more than we want territory class cards to do. Um, one of the things that we have in the gospel of Christ is that we have, um, I think every theme has received in one form or another, what I would call a, a Joshua the Conqueror type character. Um, Joshua the Conqueror is an amazing card, but he's only available to a very small group of themes. And honestly, he's maybe a little bit above the power curve that we would like to see cards at. Um, so when we made Joshua type cards for the Gospel of Christ themes, we didn't make them exactly like Joshua. We tried to change some things about them that maybe we feel are too strong with Joshua. 
And so even though they do some of the things that Joshua does, they're not Joshua. So one of our playtesters saw one of those cards and, and they thought that, well, well, Joshua does all this. This card needs to be ramped up and it needs to be more powerful so it can be like Joshua. And that's definitely not a direction that we wanted to go with that. But they don't have all that information. So based on what they know, their feedback is accurate. Um, but it's, it's not always something that we can, we can um, act on. So the one thing that we learned is early on when we invited all these people to play test with us is that they were given that type of feedback and they didn't, they didn't have all the information. So what was really valuable to us is to have them start documenting the first few turns of the game and then to give a summary of the rest of their game and then to give us their feedback with those types of things. And having the facts about what happens, what cards are in your opening hand, which souls did you activate, which star abilities did you activate, and how did the first couple turns shake out were extremely valuable to us in evaluating um, the power level of cards and interactions, how quickly things were setting up. And definitely the first turn reserve rule is something that we couldn't have evaluated near as accurately without having the information about how those first turns were playing out for people. And so that's actually the most valuable information to us is the facts of how their game plays out. Some people learn to just export the entire log from Lackey, which doesn't have all the details, but it has a lot of it. Now, let me tell you, that is some fun reading. If you really want to put yourself to sleep, try it. Just sit down and read a lackey log. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> but there's a lot of valuable information there. So um, they, they they were doing that for us. And um, it, it was really, really helpful. I think that's one of the things that even obviously not being involved with leadership with the game, but leadership at my job, the the way that you talk about not not kind of not trying to put anybody under the bus or anything of an experience that you you went through with Kevin, but taking that experience and letting it shape you and how you make sure that you can avoid that in the future now that you're involved as a leader, I think that's pretty cool. And I think so so much of our experience in life is about taking experiences and just trying to improve and make sure that things are better once we are involved. We learn from experience and then we just make things better. So that, that's that's pretty cool to to know that that kind of applies as well to you guys. Yeah, God puts us in situations and gives us experiences to prepare us for the things that He has for us in the future. He He never takes us anywhere without giving us the tools to do the things that He's asking us to do. So you mentioned that the you guys tested with the delayed reserve access rule. How did how did rotation fit into playtesting for Gospel of Christ specifically versus previous sets? I think we pretty much got the idea from Tyler that you guys knew that it was going to happen and kind of the time frame it was going to happen. So when you started building Gospel of Christ, did you build that knowing that rotation is going to already be in effect when it releases? And how 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 did that skew the playtesting towards just the new card face cards or whatever? So we've been planning rotation for a lot of years, and our plan for at least the last several years has been to do rotation around the time that the Gospel of Christ releases. Now, we weren't exactly settled on do we do it before Gospel of Christ releases, do we do it after it releases. 
Um, but we've been planning on doing it at this time for at least the last, I would say, four years probably. So the way that affects our play testing, then we get to the gospel of Christ, especially when we're testing a set that is like 270 some, I can't remember the exact number right now, but a lot of cards. Um, it really helps our play testing because we don't have to try to test everything on the old card base. It's not to say we didn't test anything there early on, when we were building playtesting decks, we just kind of defaulted to the way we've always done things. And that is a mix of new cards and old cards and, and everything. We weren't testing a rotation format. But probably around the time of Nationals, um, the, when we started hitting playtesting really hard after Nationals, we're like, we need to not, and we were behind at that point I mentioned earlier, like we need to not spend time testing classic when rotation is what's happening here, like, it's impending. It's right around the corner. And we can save ourselves a lot of time by just testing rotation formats. And so that's the direction we went with almost all of our testing and definitely with all the testing that we did with the helpers that helped us out. How many playtesters in total were there involved with GOC? I know you mentioned you mentioned that you guys brought on 10. Um, was there playtesters that you pulled from the community before that in addition to the elder group? Or was it just the elders plus the 10? Um, so we have six elders that were playtesting. We had 10 helpers that were playtesting. And then we also have any playgroup members that help with the elders as well. So that still happens. Not every elder has a playgroup that they can pull from, but some of us do. Um, Roy, for example, has a group and he was testing booster draft. And I want to say they probably did five or six GOC booster drafts and he was the only one that tested booster draft. So his feedback on that was, was absolutely essential. Um, and I test with my kids. I have a few playgroup members here that I test with as well. Uh, I know Chris has playgroup members that he's testing with. I would guesstimate that in total, we maybe had 30 people testing GOC. So we had our 10 helpers and we had six elders and then probably a smattering of about 14 other people that were involved to some degree. Is that the most ever that you recall? Yeah, I would say it probably is um, because in the past, the way we've done it is just the elders and their playgroup members. And I guess I would, maybe not the most ever. If I go back to INJ, when we were developing INJ, my playgroup was thriving at the time. And I had these kids from church that just loved redemption and they were telling all their friends. And every month when we had playgroup, we were having anywhere from like three to six new people show up. And it was the perfect time to be building a starter deck because I was having to teach new people every week. And so un unknowingly, all these new players were testing the starter decks for us. <laughs> and it was, it was a really awesome time. And that's just another example about how God provides exactly what we need when we need it. Um, but other than the I and J in that situation, uh, this is the most that I can remember in recent history that anybody has tested. Most number of people that have been involved, that is. That's pretty cool. I know we mentioned about starter decks last week on our episode here. Um, it's kind of cool. Do you think that you guys having having that influx of people and new players that you could teach when you were doing I and J, do you think that led to some of the simplicity with the the wording on the cards? Because there was a big change, obviously, from GNH to INJ. Do you think that that helped you having those new players and being able to bounce ideas off of them for that? Fine-tuning the starter decks was definitely helped by having those new players and seeing what people caught on to and what made sense to them. Um, 
but to just be honest, the simplicity of INJ was the plan from the beginning. Um, it didn't come as a result of anything during INJ. Um, Brian Hake is the one who kind of sat down and that was his brainchild. And he had taught a number of people and felt like even back at that point that the game was getting complex and that that was a turnoff for people he was trying to introduce the game to. And so we went ultra simplistic with INJ to really, I don't say dumb things down, but simplify them so that the, the game wasn't that difficult to learn. Um, back to kind of the overview that we had of playtesting in general is that you go back to the drawing board and you said you guys on your weekly call would talk. You did a lot of, I think you, you used the term armchair editing at the at the early onset before actually building them into decks. How many versions of GOC do you think you guys went through before you landed on? This is it. This is what we're sending, at least for phase one to the printers. So we have seven. It's uh, GOC went to print after version seven. So uh, phase one went to print after version seven. And I would guess that... Uh, will probably be around version 10. We're on version 8 right now. Um, we might be around version 10 by the time we send phase 2 to print. Um, what was the most broken interaction that you guys discovered during playtesting? And how was that potentially corrected or, or whatnot? Well, I, I have a hard time picking just one broken interaction, but I do have a few I wouldn't mind sharing with you. Um, first thing is, is that we have two pretty much completely new themes in Gospel of Christ that we really wanted to be playable out of the gate. And as a result, as I mentioned, sometimes I have a tendency to want to start cards out too strong and have to tone them down. So <laughs> uh, no surprise that these new themes that we really wanted to be good um, had some pretty broken stuff going on. Um, so one of those had to do with that uh, resource depletion theme and in gold new testament gold is people that encountered jesus and parables those kinds of things um, quick interactions not the long-lasting friendships and the disciples and those kinds of things but the brief interactions and so it's a resource depletion theme and one of the first things that happened when we brought in a larger group of play testers is that that theme was assigned to a couple different people so we could see how viable it was in type one and and what the broken combos were and of course they they found one right away and it was pretty funny because there were we assigned themes to people to test and they're supposed to stick with their theme and uh we had a few people that that week found out about the the brokenness that other people were testing and so we probably had like half of our play testers testing the broken theme instead of what they were supposed to be doing because they wanted to see how awesome this was. So um, it, it went something like this. There was there's a new card and it's going to be in phase one. It's called Concealed Riches. And uh, this card, I don't remember exactly what it was doing at the time, but it was something along the lines of um, you could shuffle your reserve into your deck and you may have been able to exchange cards from your hand with cards in your reserve, like probably as many as you wanted. Um, and then we also had Samaritan water jar being reprinted and not reprinted exactly. Instead of setting cards aside, it was reserving them, but it could still hit up to nine. So it could reserve up to nine cards from your opponent's deck. And then we had the 
early version of Voice from Heaven, which uh, at that point in time, you just banished all reserves. And so these players were just getting Samaritan water jar as quick as they could. And on the first turn that reserve access happened, they were banishing the reserve and they were using a number of other ways to reserve people's cards and, and get them in the reserve as well. And so I want to say the most somebody did is they like banished 22 cards from another player's deck on like turn two. <laughs> it was pretty nuts. <laughs> uh, so those cards clearly had to change. Um, Concealed Riches ended up with, uh, it's definitely more balanced now. It has an X ability to kind of limit what you can do or an X identifier. Um, Samaritan Water Jar no longer reserves nine cards. So uh, I think Justin also is probably pretty happy about that. He's always hated the old Samaritan Water Jar and and we love to give him a hard time about that. Uh, But the new Samaritan Water Jar is, is a much healthier card now. And we've seen Voice from Heaven previewed. So you guys know what that one does. Um, another one of the new themes that we were trying to make viable is Crimson Thieves. Um, thieves are a really cool, really fun theme. And, and so, the, of course, they had a number of broken cards. Uh, ambushing Bandits and, and Zacchaeus had to undergo a few different changes. But there was one in particular at face value when we looked at this card called Pilfer. It looked like it could potentially be up to a three for one. Now, if you think of getting three cards for one, that's a pretty good value. And and even back in the day, like Reets of Desperation and Words of Encouragement, these were popular cards to play because you get to draw three cards. It's a three for one. So Pilfer looked like a three for one. And what it would do is it would negate an opponent's card and you could draw one. And that was territory class. So, I mean, that doesn't seem too powerful, right? You get to negate a card and you get to draw one as territory class. So hopefully you're, you know, getting around uh, their storehouse or whatever you need to do. And maybe a soul that's annoying. Um, if you played it in battle, then you also got to, uh, I forget exactly what it was doing. It might have been taking a card from the opponent's hand. Um, so that looks like a three for one to me. You know, you, you negate a card, you stop that one, you draw a card, and you get to take a card. And, but the guys that were testing, they were seeing that, like, hey, this card is so broken. And <laughs> at first, I'm like, explain to me how it's broken. And the elder team gets together and we're all talking, like, it looks like a three for one. I don't see what the problem is. I, I think that uh, maybe they just had a bad experience. It was a fluke. And so we keep testing and it comes up again and it comes up again. And, and if you look at, if you really dig deep into Pilfer, that card that you're taking out of their hand, you get to use on them later. So that now made it a four for one, assuming that you have a way to use it. And guess what? Thieves do. Um, So then if you happen to beat the hero in battle as a result of the negate plus taking whatever they needed from their hand, then their hero dies as well. And so now we're talking a five for one. And that's just not really fair. Uh, That swings games pretty bad, especially in type two where you could have four of these things. Um, so Pilfer had to change. We added some limitations. We toned it down. It really is only a three for one now. <laughs> and so, uh, I think it's going to be a fairer card. Um, the orange theme in GOC, we, we were trying to do something new there. And in the gospels, there's a lot of times that, um, demons were afflicting people. They were possessing people. And so we've tried to represent that to some degree with place cards. And placing cards is a theme that has just never been very viable because it takes a lot of investment to make it work. And you got to get a big return if you're making a bigger investment. 
So we had a number of cards that placed themselves and some of them were territory class to make the placing easier and to make it work. In fact, maybe a couple too many of them were territory class. And there was a card called Choked Seed that would allow you to draw X off the top of your deck and then X off the bottom of your deck because why not double draw? That's always fun. Um, it happened to be territory class and it would trigger off the number of placed cards that you had in play. So people were using these territory class cards to place a bunch of stuff and then they were drawing absurd amounts with choked seed. And in type two, they were basically going through most of their deck. They would empty their hand. They would play a choke seed. They would draw into their next choke seed. They would empty their hand. They would, and it was it was insane. Um, so choke seed lost territory class. It gained a brigade. It got toned down. Um, but that was a pretty broken interaction that that we found. It was both broken in type one, but extremely broken in type two. Um, we had a couple really cool souls early on in in GOC. One of them was originally designed to maybe counter the the remnant and the exiles type things that people were doing before the reserve rule when they were using them to set up. Um, so this lost soul called Galatians, um, it could negate your opponent's Old Testament soul and copy the ability, or you could exchange a card in hand, a New Testament card in hand, with a New Testament card of the same brigade in your deck. Um so you would get to choose one or the other. If your opponent's not playing New Testament Souls, you still had something to do. And it was a pretty good setup card. Um, that one, and then there was a soul called Defiled that had what ended up being a pretty broken draw ability on it. And both of those things, when you copied them with Imitate, were just downright insane. Um, so those both had to be changed. Um, I can tell you Galatians is still a really good soul. Um, but it no longer does anything with Old Testament souls, and you can't get any New Testament card based on brigades from your deck, but still does some pretty fun stuff. And Defiled is being saved for Phase 2, and it still has a cool draw ability, but also much more balanced now. And uh, so last, the last story I'm going to tell you about here is a card called Strict Sabbath. And Strict Sabbath goes with our friend, the expert lawyer we talked about earlier today, um, because early on you could get that back. So when we first started playtesting and we were just kind of in default mode, mixing some old cards with new, new cards, uh, I'm testing Pharisees and some other guys are testing Pharisees because Pharisees are awesome. Proud Pharisee, uh, who doesn't like to draw cards and play cards off the same guy? And so there was a way to band a bunch of these Pharisees into battle. And the Proud Pharisees, of course, would play this card called Strict Sabbath. And Strict Sabbath, um, it's not unsuccessful. It doesn't even end the battle. But it really warps the battle so that your opponent, if they don't meet the right conditions, they probably aren't going to do much. And so being able to get that back every turn with the expert lawyer and then play it with Proud Pharisees was, was really broken. Um, so Strict Sabbath had to end up banishing itself so that you don't get to recur it because you really shouldn't do that more than once. <laughs> Not in type one anyways. I think it's pretty cool. You mentioned these broken interactions, but the story behind them, it's almost like even though they're never going to get into print and come to the community, it seems like you guys, even even though it's part of the process to get to what ends up being the set, 
there's a lot of good memories made with playtesting and having fun, finding those interactions. So kind of like when the community comes at a love at first sight combo and it's kind of cool because they get to discover something. It seems like you guys get to have a lot more of that in the process of playtesting. It is. There's honestly a lot of that. And that's another reason that we just let things roll with a love at first sight. Let's, let's see how it shakes out. How can people react? Um, what can they do about this? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to stop, but it's not impossible. There's not like there's nothing that you can do. So um, yeah, it's, it's fun to see what you can do about those things. Obviously at this point for the community, the cards aren't going to change unless we banner a rat of them, <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we do get a lot of that, trying to find those broken interactions. And then uh, we have the, the blessing to be able to fix them right now because they haven't gone to print yet. When, when we had Tyler on a couple of weeks ago, he said that John plays the role within the team of taking a card to him and just, can you break this? How do you break this? Is, is, he, one of the, is, is he the one that finds the most broken interactions or is it kind of you guys all kind of, kind of locate these things? Uh, I would say it's it's really a, a team effort across the board, but John's role specifically, and he has several, um, but one of his roles specifically, his oh, he has a great mind for combos. I mentioned years ago, him and one of his friends from Rochester, Minnesota, came up with that, a new beginning deck that just repeatedly took turns in a really broken way, uh, because John has a mind for combos. So if we want to know if a card that has combo potential is broken, we definitely asked John about that. And we have uh, one or two ways in, in the gospel of Christ that are basically redemption's version of an alternate win condition. And one of the things that John spent a good deal of time testing for us is, are these alternate win conditions broken? In other words, are they too easy to pull off? We don't want players to use an alternate win condition and win on turn two. That, that wouldn't be healthy for the game, and it probably wouldn't be fun for anybody to play against. So John was doing the testing for, for us with those and uh, making sure that those things weren't broken. But we always, if we think something's combo-specific, we always go to John. Um, he's not the only guy that looks at it, but he's definitely one of the first that we have look at it because he's got a great mind for that stuff. All right. Um, do you have a, a favorite card from the set? Like, I know you mentioned with favorites that word's kind of convoluted and it requires context but do you have something that you could provide to us that you really are looking forward to getting your hands on and playing once it comes out oh i probably have a, a lot of things i'm excited to play but there's a couple things specifically i'll share with you um I mentioned the joshua types i'm really excited for that type of card to be available in other themes and a couple of my favorites um, might just be because of, you know, the art or the theme that they're in. Um, but there was a card, it was previewed, I think, just the art of this card. Um, the Expatriator is an angel, and it's got some really cool art, and his wings are going outside the frame. Yes, and so I it looks that. amazing. He is a Joshua-type character for Gospel Angels, and definitely want to play that guy. He's really fun. Um, and then on the evil side of things, there's a Joshua type card called the brood of vipers, and it is a Pharisee Sadducee card and Pharisees are going to be really good. Sadducees are going to be really good. And then there's a third way to play them and you can just blend the two. And that might honestly be better 
than either one of them by themselves, um, depending on what you're trying to do and accomplish. Um, but the Brood of Vipers being a Joshua type for those themes is is a really fun, really good card. I love to play test in that one. Um, so definitely excited about the, all the Joshua types and um, getting those out there for people so that there's ways to deal with things besides just playing Joshua the Conqueror. Um, there's another card that I'm really excited about. It's a rare in phase one. And this is a lost soul. And it has a very ironic name. It's called Undesirables. And through a lot of our playtesting, Undesirables was a pretty undesirable card. <laughs> We're trying to make the New Testament souls um, their own thing so that people will start playing them again. And people have definitely been on Old Testament souls for a while because they've gotten a lot of really fun stuff. And they also had some really good setup with uh, Remnant and Exiles before the reserve rule. So the undesirable soul, if I remember correctly, when you, I think it had an ability that you could exchange a card in hand with a card from your reserve. And at the end of your opponent's turn, you could top deck it. Um, so basically it just made sure you were going to draw it again next turn and you'd just be able to continue to swap out reserve access. And in theory, that doesn't sound too bad, but people kept testing it out and it just wasn't doing anything for them. There's enough other ways to get in the reserve. Maybe they didn't need it, or obviously you don't want to draw that on the first turn. Um, even though it'll top deck itself and you'll be able to use it on turn two. Um, you know, but it, it just ended up being pretty undesirable and late in the play testing of GOC, we had realized another direction to go with lost souls other than, you know, when this soul comes into play or when it's drawn, you get to do these cool things, which is what a lot of the souls have done the last few years. And we were looking at, well, how can we make souls that you really just don't want to rescue? And so we came up with a number of ideas on ways you can punish players or gain a huge benefit if your opponent rescues it. And that's something we're looking at doing in the future, probably. Um, but as we were looking to completely retool undesirables because what we were trying to do with it just wasn't working. Um, undesirables ended up gaining one of those abilities. And so I can promise you it is not a soul that you want to rescue. Maybe as your fifth soul, it's okay to rescue it for number five in type one or number seven in type two. But if it's before that, you really don't want to rescue that soul. Nice. That makes me very excited to, uh, to open that one. Um, you mentioned that the original ability or one of the original abilities was to take a card from your reserve or exchange it and then top deck that card. And the whole time you said that, I'm just thinking back and I remember, I don't remember what card it was, but I remember seeing this random star ability that was like draw three cards or something. And I was just like, okay, exchange. It turns into a draw three if you if you exchange and, and top deck. Oh, I, I may not have been very clear. I think the undesirable soul, when when you drew it or when it was put in play, would allow you to exchange a card from hand with a card in your reserve. So it would directly go from your hand to your reserve. And then at the end of your opponent's turn, the undesirable soul would allow you to top deck the soul. So then oh, it's okay. on top of your deck, and then you draw, and then it's your turn, and you draw three, and you drew the soul, so you get to trigger it again. And you I can actually you. do that exchange from hand to reserve every turn. And part of the reason for that is we wanted some a little bit more broad reserve access in GOC. 
because there are ways to potentially get your opponent's dominance in the reserve. And uh, if your dominance end up in the reserve, you really want a way to get those back. You don't want those to stay there. Um, so we were trying to, to do that kind of thing. So I may not have been very clear about what I was trying to say that Soul did originally when it was undesirable. Now you've hit us with another nugget that you can put dominance in to the reserve and voice of heaven. Okay. There's so there's so so many like nuggets that I've gotten just from all the spoilers that have been released and things. I absolutely cannot wait to get my hand on GOC. Just um, keep me talking. I'll spill all the beans. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Tyler, Tyler mentioned when we had him on a couple of weeks ago that he's kind of been your understudy for uh, the last little bit and going through the process here, um, getting acclimated to being on the leadership team. And he mentioned that you've told him that um, – watching people play with cards that you've worked on and you've seen from the very beginning and all the phases or uh, all the changes that they've gone through. And when you see people playing with that set, how rewarding that is for you. So, so he kind of told us secondhand that you've passed that, that little bit of wisdom on to him. How does that feel for you personally? Like what is that experience like when you get to see people playing cards that you worked hard on for a year plus well, I, I thoroughly enjoy seeing what people come up with. Um, I enjoy seeing what players like, the themes that they use, um, the ways that they're using cards that we never imagined, um, things that we didn't think of in playtesting. Play, players see this and like, oh, this would be great. And they, they always come up with things. They, they surprise us. And that's, that's awesome. I really enjoy that. I like seeing the themes that players latch on to. Um, you know, we pour a lot into trying to make these themes look different and have their own feel. And as a result, people relate to some and they don't relate to others. And it's always fun to see what people relate to and what they enjoy, what they like. But whether it's redemption or uh, if you're a father, your children, or in your case, this podcast that you're doing, when you pour so much into something, it's definitely rewarding when you see things turn out well. And when you know that other people are enjoying and appreciate what you've done and it kind of makes it all worthwhile. I can, I can definitely um, understand that when you throw in the podcast thing, because everybody reaching out something that you, you kind of take a risk or a flyer on you, you start, I guess, go head first in and you, you don't really know how it's going to turn out. But then as you get to see some of the feedback, the positive feedback from people, I, I guess I can, I can understand where that comes from and just, kind of exponentially in a greater sense in your role as leadership for the game. I understand that. Um, do you ever, do you ever regret uh, the trade-off there for being involved in card creation to the point to where you're not quite as active as a competitive player? Cause, and I guess the, maybe I don't, if I put my foot in my mouth, you can tell me, but most people have, you have a reputation as a very good competitive player but since I've been in the game for the last couple of years, people talk about that you don't play as much competitively because you're so busy with card creation and, and being part of the leadership team. Do you ever feel that you've left something on the table there, or do you think it's a fair trade-off for what you get to do now? Well, I, I have no regrets. Um, I would never trade it, um, but I could if I wanted to. I could take off my elder hat at any time and play competitively. Um, I had been doing this for a few years and 
I don't remember if it was like in 2015 or 2016, somebody told me that, uh, oh, you're just too old. You don't have the edge anymore. And so I decided that I was going to play at nationals that year and I was going to win. And I played bomb and, uh, I, you weren't around then, but I think the history books tell us that bomb won that nationals. Um, so I just had to prove to myself that I wasn't actually too old, which I might be now, honestly. <laughs> um, I, I've definitely lost a bit of my edge if I'm honest. Um, but you know, even back then I felt like, oh, maybe I still have something left to prove to myself, but I don't have anything left to prove to myself as a player. And I certainly don't have anything to prove to anybody else. Um, and honestly, I'm reaching a point where as a designer and creator, I don't have anything left to prove either. This block, this series that we're doing is a vision that God gave me at Nationals in New York. Uh, I don't remember what year that was. I think it might have been um, around the time Cloud of Witnesses had released or no, it was before that. It was even before that. I don't remember what Nationals was in New York. I remember I drove 24 hours to get there and it was a brutal drive. Um and we had already planned that we were going to do Cloud of Witnesses and Revelation of John. And we had talked about what's next. And and God gave me this vision, just like show people how the entire scriptures point to my son. And, and that's where this block came from. And that was something that I felt like I needed to see through to the end. And now that we get to the end of GOC, it doesn't mean that I'm done working with the team, but... As a designer and creator, I've done a lot. Um, and honestly, I'm looking forward to the next season. And as what that looks like right now is me helping mentor the next generation of guys as they become the designers and creators. And they get to take this game in a new awesome direction. And I've seen the things that they're talking about doing. I know what their plan is for the next few years. And it is exciting. It's looking really good. These guys are very teachable as well. They're coming to me with questions that I didn't even have the wisdom to ask when I was in their shoes. And they're going to do an amazing job. I've been able to take the game during the time that I was privileged with the opportunity to help lead and design sets. And I've had an amazing team around me. And we've taken the game to what I feel like is a very good place. And I feel like the future of the game is going an even better place. So I'm super excited about what that looks like. And I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that for national titles. I wouldn't trade that for even be able to design more sets myself. Like that's that's great. It's been fun. Maybe I'll design a set again someday. But being able to help mentor these guys and see them pour into it. And I still have the fun of doing the graphics. I still have the fun of playtesting. I still have the fun of being part of this team. And uh, it, it's really, an, Tyler touched on this, it's an amazing team that we have together in the way that we are unified and that we gel and that we trust one another and the way that Mr. Rob Anderson has entrusted us to, to do what we want with the game, really. Um, he knows that we have the game's best interests in mind. We have a proven track record of doing things pretty successful. And he's really just come to trust us. When we take an idea to Rob, uh, he's usually just like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Um, very rarely does he actually have any pushback or even questions, honestly. Sometimes I'm like, surely he's going to have questions about this. And the most recent thing I, I took to him for our team was uh, he's just like, 
oh, that's all amazing. And the one thing that I thought he might have questions or push back on, he's like, that's my favorite part. And I'm just like, wow. <laughs> so there's a lot of great things coming down the pipe. And I, I can't say too much about that because it's not mine to talk about. And not to not to uh, go too far back in the past, but you were talking about the the vision that you were given for the block set. So it looks like Nationals and New York was 2013. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's that's probably right. Yep. So so we're finishing up now, and it'll be 2022 when GOC finally releases and completes that block set. So something that's almost a decade in the making. So where I'm talking about, I asked this question and it started with, uh, or the previous question where you poured into a set for over a year, you poured into a block set for basically a decade. That's, I, I couldn't imagine what that feeling must be like when you actually get to see that come to fruition and see the changes in the game. Because the game's got to be completely different now than what it was before, even from from your perspective as far as when you got in, obviously you have big changes to get the game up to a, to a new standard with the new card face and things, but it's not just the design of the cards. It's not just the different abilities. It's it's so much more than that over the course of a block set, and you get to see the maturation of, I guess, your dream from where you had it, God gave it to you, to now. That's got to be just a, a wonderful feeling. Oh, it truly is. It truly is. To see the way that things have shaped and changed and to work with all the different people that God has brought along through that 10 years as well. Um, so many guys have brought so much to the table and so many ideas that have helped shape this game. And, you know, Rob said something to me several years ago at nationals and he would just give me some advice on designing sets and, and leading the team. And he's, he mentioned that he's like, this game has gone so far beyond anything that I could have imagined and where you guys are taking it. And he's like, whenever your time is up, like you've, you've poured a lot into this game. Don't, you know, don't feel like you have to keep doing this. Um, as long as you want to, I'd love to have you, but don't ever feel obligated. And um, that's, that's really where things are at is that, yeah, we've poured a lot in, but there's a lot more that can happen still. And, and God's bringing along that next generation of people to complete that and to make that happen. Uh, so it's it's really awesome. It's really exciting. It's really been a privilege to be a part of it for this season and whatever seasons are, are yet to come as long as God has me here. I think that's a that's a pretty good note to end on as far as the, the conversation with with you regarding GOC playtesting and things. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing some some information about GOC specifically and, and your process for playtesting. And I think it's really cool that we've gotten to follow this up with Tyler giving us some information, then you coming on and kind of giving us the other half. So a couple of different looks behind the curtain to see how the game operates. And I really do think that it's hard. It, I know it's hard for me to to say this, not having the long history with the game, but I really do think it's in a fantastic spot. And just everybody I talk to in leadership and everybody that I talk to that plays the game just keeps reaffirming that. So I think, Obviously, the it just gets better as we keep going. Yeah, it, it really does. So thank you so much for having me tonight, John. It has been really fun talking with you and, and sharing some of these stories. And uh, I, I love the Redemption community. That's the reason that I keep doing this. And uh, the community is in a good place. The game is in a good place. 
and uh, let's let's get more people interested in redemption. Um, tell your friends. Pray that God will bring new people in. We have a wonderful tool here uh, for fun, for games, and for teach people about the Bible. Yes, and not to not to harp on it too much, but you you say learning the game, and I know everybody talks about learning the game, but uh, earlier earlier today actually I looked up Matthew one, which is one of the boring parts of scripture when you get into like the story of the birth of Jesus and it's all these names yep. and I was just reading over them and it's the 14 generations up till the exile um, to Babylon and then the 14 generations between that and the birth of Christ and every person on here like it almost resonates because you've got a card you've gotten you've gotten to know these characters even though they were just names in the Bible before potentially for people that that haven't studied that, that now you have kind of an idea of who they are. So now you go through and you're like, I know that guy. Asa, Asa is my homeboy. Jehoshaphat, he can ban to anybody. And it's like, even though, even though you're playing a game, it's a fantastic resource to learn about the Bible, learn more about your faith, um, and, and just kind of take, take learning about the Bible in a, in a deeper way even though you're not specifically focusing on that, it's you're having fun and you're becoming a, a more astute um, believer, whether you know it or not, because I, I wasn't thinking about this, but then I read that today and I was like, boom, it jumps off the page now. It, it absolutely does. And that's one of the things that really enticed me about this game is all the names and the characters that I normally had just glossed over when I was reading scripture and it made them come alive. And the fact that we can do that with the lineage at the beginning of Matthew, one of the more boring reads, if we're honest, and suddenly that comes to life. Um, you talked about all the guys that have poured into the game. Travis, who used to own Three Lions Gaming, um, was key and instrumental in his awesome biblical knowledge um, in helping us come up with some very accurate names for those guys. Because we like to subtitle guys and um, and give them the little, not just their name, but something a little descriptive about who they are. And even though Matthew doesn't tell us a lot about those guys, Travis knows biblical history and he went in and he helped name a lot of those guys and a lot of the kind of nobody guys from Genesis and really helped bring those things to life. So that's just an example of how so many people have really made the game what it is. Just to offer a, a little plug, if you want to go and do a little bit of uh, digging, you can go and find, I believe Chris Fashman put out the article when LOC was about to release or just had released about the beginning parts of the Bible where it takes God's plan for redemption and it uses the names. And I guess uh, that's what you're speaking about, the little secondary name, the sub, sub name on yep. the cards to show... God's plan for redemption for, for man. Yeah. It's just all fantastic and it keeps tying back in. Yep. Yeah. I think Chris did that for like the first 10 generations or something like that. Um, and that, that was really awesome and amazing. That was something I didn't even know about. And, and that's something Chris brought to the table last year when we were doing LOC. Yeah. So whether you, whether you're playing this game for fun or you're playing it to, to learn more, it, it just kind of works that way. You're going to, you're going to do both. You're going to have fun. You're going to learn about the Bible. Tell your friends, tell everyone, let's get the community to grow. And the game's headed in a fantastic direction. So 
Thanks for joining Gabe and thanks listeners for tuning in and we'll see you on next week's episode. Peace. Thank you guys so much for joining. Again, this has been episode five of the threshing floor. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and the sit down and the peek behind the curtain of kind of how the process of playtesting goes. We really want to thank Gabe for joining and we want to thank leadership as a whole between him and Tyler and potential future guests just being available to join a podcast like this just to bring some of that insight to the community and we hope to continue to be able to do that and branch out and and kind of talk about various topics with them and give you a little bit more inside information so hope you enjoyed this hope you're looking forward to next week because i know i am and we'll see you then boom peace Thank you.